So what's the deal with this eternal life business? You know the teachings. You've seen the billboards and the commercials. What do you think it's about? Well, you know, I've heard the song. Haven't we all heard the song? We heard it about a million times earlier. Let's refresh it again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbors as yourself. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Does that answer your question? Uh, but what about our neighbors? I go about each day trying to get through the day. I want to do the best I can for myself, my family, and my friends. But I find it hard to have energy for anyone else. How do I find my neighbors? Hmm. It's so hard, I know. Let me tell you a story. Oh, here we go again, answering yet another question with a story. <laughs> do you mind? I think I'm really pretty clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. So, there was this man traveling on the road. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know how traffic gets on that road. All was going to plan until he was attacked. This group of people startled him, beat him up, and took all his things. He was left lying on the ground, bruised and confused. And it also happened that a pastor was coming down that same road. Now, he was busy, as usual, and late for a meeting. Really? Never noticed that. Huh. So he passed the man by and said a prayer that maybe somebody else might help him. And a physician passed him by also. But he was on vacation. <laughs> he's, uh, he's quite sure there'll be a life squad that'll come and get him soon. Really sad. Really sad. But, you know, we have to go on. And he knows that probably his phone will dial 911 anyway. That seems a little overblown to me. I'm not finished yet. Anyway... Then this Samaritan person came along. I saw him lying in the road. I knew I had to stop and see if he was okay. Immediately, I could tell he was in a lot of pain. I just so happened to have a first aid kit and could offer some bandages and aspirin. He was thirsty, and I had some water to offer, too. It wasn't much, but it helped him get on his feet. I took him to a local hospital. I gave them the cash I had in my wallet, and told them to take care of, care of him and look after him, and then I would cover the extra cost when I returned tomorrow. So who do you think was the neighbor in this story? The one who actually stopped by to check on the guy. I don't think these stories are complicated. Would you do the same? Sanctuary, pure and holy. Yeah. 
By the way, Mimi, Mimi paid like 10 bucks to get that part, so just saying. <laughs> science. We love science. We listen to science, right? We honor science. Science teaches that we are affected by so many positive ways um, when someone is watching us. We can actually affect, according to science, the outcome of what happens merely by being present and watching. Um, but I want to ask you a question. What happens when no one seems to be watching? If no one's face is shining upon us, what do we do then? John Caputo is a great theologian. I love his books. and He's written a book called Hope Against Hope. I love the title. And he talks about an incident when he was a kid. His name then was Jackie. He's Catholic, so he went into a, a seminary and they renamed him Paul. And then he was renamed again, but his original name was Jackie. And so he always refers to him when he's thinking about these type of things as, as Jackie. Um, Jackie, a name with a story to it. I would look up, he talks about, I would look up at the vast spread of stars at night when I was a kid and think quietly to myself, no one knows I'm here. This suspicion was a well-kept secret, he said. You know, when he'd lie up in those stars, and there were just so many stars, so many. How could anybody really be a, paying attention to little old me? I'm, I'm too small. I'm just dust in the wind. And he had this feeling, this overwhelming feeling that he was just really all alone, that we really are all just dust in the wind. And he said this position was a, a well-kept secret strictly between Jackie and me and the stars, of course. I had memorized, he said, the Baltimore Catechism as instructed, and I knew as well as everybody else what it said, but that did not quell my inquisitiveness. I still wondered in the back of my mind, is there anyone out there, God or anyone at all, or is it just stars all the way out? It was a passing thought, he said. I never brought it up with the nuns because they would have killed me. <laughs> or even worse, turned me into the pastor, an imposing priest who would have expelled me from my parish school. Then I would have to go to public school with all those Protestant kids who I was reasonably sure we're going to hell for being heretics. <laughs> I love his humor there. What do we do? Have you ever had that feeling? Sometimes that's a kind of a feeling I get when I read the news and it kind of gets me, right? Like the world is just unraveling and, and moving into chaos. And, I'm, and I think to myself, what? What am I supposed to do? What, what's the answer here? What's, what's my faith stance? What am I supposed to do when the whole world just seems to be falling apart? Have you ever had that feeling? What do we do? Jesus was living in a time like that. 
people were giving up hope. There was no future, it seemed, for Jesus' people at that time. The place was falling apart. What do we do? What's our stance? John Caputo, in his book, talks about two kinds of time. You know, Christians, sometimes we've talked about heaven and earth, kind of this heavenly place after, but he likes to bring it to the present all together. And he talks about these two times of kind, this two kinds of time. There is a um, conditional time. Now, we all mostly live in the conditional time, counting time, right? Where we're counting the hours, where we're counting our purposes, where we've got goals to go to, we've got money to make, we're making sure we make our budget, we've got to make sure we don't have a lot of time, so we've got to manage it all, every little piece of it. That's what we call conditional time. And most of us are pretty much trapped in that 24-7. But then he says there's another kind of time, unconditional time, time that doesn't need to be counted. If you're a grandpa or a grandma, you know that time very well. It's, it's when you're with your grandkids. You know, time just flies. You don't care about anything but those grandkids. You know, you're just focused in on that. You get lost in just loving and, and being loved back. That's unconditional time. It's what we Christians, or United Methodists, call grace time, right? What I love about this story of the Good Samaritan is it's so true, right? I mean, because, listen, that pastor who goes by or that priest who goes by and the other person who goes by, we get them. Come on. They're in conditional time. They don't have time. They've got to keep going. They've got other things to do. Makes total sense. And you know, the truth of the matter is, this story gets us because... Jesus gets us because that's who we are most of the time. We pass others by. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I live in that conditional world. I may see someone over here that's hurting, but I've got another thing going on here that I think is more important to me and my family, so I better go do it, right? Conditional time. But then we see this good Samaritan He is living in a different world. Or she, we're not sure which one it is. You know, uh, um, it's incredible. He just gets lost, or she just gets lost in, in compassion. And she just lets it flow. She doesn't care about anything else. We don't see that person questioning, worried about time or anything. They just focus in on the need, and they do it all the way through to the end. It's a beautiful picture of somebody who's in unconditional time, in grace time. It's so cool. Have you ever seen anybody like that who's just lost in being a really good person? Just lost in doing something wonderful, right? And they just keep doing it. They don't care about what else is going on in the world. They just do it. Drop it and fly towards it. I remember uh, in one of my churches, there was a couple named Jim and Vivian Arsham. They got married in 1931 in South Dakota. That would not be a good time to get married. (laughs) And uh, Vivian was from a city, Minneapolis, and they moved out 
country of Geta, South Dakota. You know, we're talking a farm. And she uh, remembers one dust storm that came through. And uh, she said she had never been, like, even on a farm very long. And here, you know, the dust was coming in and just like drifts that came over, over through, the, through the window and formed on the sill. And she just, just, she could hardly see. And she just wept and wept and wept. And she called her mom and said, Mom, take me home. Come on, I can't live out here. And her mom said, nope, you're married, you're stuck. <laughs> you're going to have to get through this. And, and she did. But one time, Jim and Vivian were very involved with the United Methodist Church, and they loved the United Methodist wing of the missions. So they got involved with missions. And Jim went to this mission conference, and they were talking about Africa University. If you remember Africa University in Kenya, um, that's our United Methodist University in, in Africa. And it's a beautiful, great place, but it, you know, it needed a lot of money to get going. And so... There was a, a guy from Kenya there, and Jim was listening to this Kenyan, and he got wrapped up to it. And at the end, they all were supposed to make a pledge, right? That they were going to give some money to the Africa University. And Jim was just overwhelmed, you know, by the, the power of this and this guy and everything he was doing. So he put down a bid of $500 he was going to give. Now, this was in the 30s, late 30s. There wasn't a lot of money going on. And uh, Jim came home, and he didn't tell his wife about this bit because he knew, he knew she'd be counting, and it wasn't going to be good. Um, but finally, there was something that came in the mail, a reminder. And, of course, his, Vivian opened it up, and she said, What? $500? Are you kidding me? We can't even come up with five, Jim. How in the world are we going to come up with 500? And he said, well, I know, I got a little carried away. I understand. Um, maybe we could call him and, you know, make it less. I mean, I don't know, maybe 50. And she still shook her head. And then she said, oh, let's, let's pray about it. And so they prayed about it. And Vivian began to catch on to the same spirit. She lost her sense of conditional time in this prayer time, and she began to realize, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's see if we can do it. Let's see if we can raise $500. I don't know what we're going to do. We might have to sell the house, but we're going to raise it. We're going to have to try something. And just that day, Jim had been hunting pheasants, and he brought in some pheasants, and she saw the colorful ring-necked pheasant feathers, and she got this idea that she was going to make pheasant pins. Can you imagine? Pheasant pins. So she made, she took all the feathers from the pheasant and she made pins that, you know, somebody could wear. And Jim and Vivian, wherever they went, started trying to sell these things, right, for a buck a piece. So she'd have to make 500 pins, right? So she's, they're working on doing this. And Jim gets he takes them everywhere he goes. He takes them to the sale barn, for crying out loud, where all the guys are, you know, buying cattle and everything. And he goes up to the sale barn manager and he said, I really want you to buy a pin. Could you buy a pin? And the guy says, what are you doing selling these pins here? This is not the place. This is not going to work. But he said, okay, I'll buy one. How much are they? Well, they're a dollar, but if you could get more. And he said, okay, I'll give you five bucks if you just shut up. And so he, he got five bucks. Um, and, uh, but then the next week, Jim brought him back. <laughs> and 
And the guy said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I, I want to sell these pins. And somebody came up and said, yeah, I know. My, my, my wife saw these and really loved them, so I want to buy 10 of them. So all of a sudden, they started selling these pins. And believe it or not, by the end of it, they sold enough to make their pledge, $500. And they wept when they brought that pledge in to the conference office. And they shared that story of how much they put into it. And the funny thing was, Vivian said, I never felt more like a human being in my life. I never felt closer to Jim in my life than when we lost ourselves raising that money for that project. That's what I call unconditional time. And, and Jesus, I think, is, is calling each and every one of us to think about ways we might be able to enter into that time. He's not telling us that every minute of our moment that we're going to leave ourselves and, and just be an unconditional time. I mean, you might try that. There's some monasteries around here that might take you to try that. No. He's just telling us, get out there for your own soul's sake and get wrapped into something bigger than you are. Get wrapped up in something greater than you are, in a love and a compassion. And when you feel that, like the, the Good Samaritan did, I mean, the Good Samaritan noticed the person, but they stopped, and if you read the story, their eyes were filled with compassion. Now, all of us have been that far, right? Where our eyes have been filled with compassion. But the real key to it all is don't stop there. Let that compassion just push you into something different, to another place, to a kingdom of God moment. Um, I just believe with all my heart there are too many people in our world that go unnoticed that we pass by. And there is such a power in noticing them. doesn't mean you have to take them all the way to the hospital. You might. But just even noticing them, paying attention, saying hi. I remember when I was a, a pastor and I just came back to the South Dakota Conference um, and I went to a pastor retreat. And I felt so out of place. You know, when you're new... You just feel like, oh, man, I, I, you know, you get that. What is the syndrome where you think you're not supposed to be there? What, what is that? What is it? Imposter sister, syndrome. Let me tell you, I had it big time when I was at this pastor's gathering. We were having a retreat. And as we were going to eat that first night, Rod Gist, an older pastor who knew my dad, he just put his hand on my shoulder. And he just said, Brooke, great to have you here. And that was really all I needed to feel worthy. Not much, right? But it meant the whole world to me. Suddenly I felt like I was included. This church, one of the things we need to be as, as a church is we need to offer the world places and times that are unconditional. Our job as a church being in here is to be that people and that community of grace we don't have to count in here i know we do don't we as finance people but but we don't i mean really worship is all about not counting it's about being a person who makes everybody else count 
and matter. That's what we are. We're this, we're this community of grace. It's different than the world. It's different than that conditional time out there. But we can do it. And it's such a joy to do it. And it gives us a whole new sense of what it means to be human and alive. And for me, when I see somebody doing it, it gives me hope. And I need it. And all the people said. broken sky, traced out by the city lights, my world from a mile high, best seat in the house tonight, touch down in the cold black top, hold on for the sudden stop, breathe in the familiar shock, confusion and chaos, all those Chance. 